Brandon Cavanaugh. Thank you for being here. Y'all come on in. Stand if you will and let's worship our king together. The only name that matters to me. Church, how's everyone doing? Good. God has given us a beautiful December day, hasn't he? It's nice and cold outside. It's the best time of the year, right? But Christmas is coming, and we're so excited to have you here this morning. And uh, again, thankful. We've been praying for you all week. We believe that God has something amazing for us today, all right? I truly believe that, and I believe that every single time that the word is preached, God's going to be speaking to us, all right? So we want to just get ready and, 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 I'm, again, so excited for who's speaking today, all right? I know you are, too. You all know who it is. So 
But before that, I'm going to invite you all to stand back up, all right? Get your exercise in, all right? We're going to pray and ask God to bless our services, all right? Let's do that. Lord, we love you, and again, thank you so much for bringing us all back together. Lord, we love this place and so thankful that we can gather here as Kavanaugh Church, God, as a church family. Lord, as your word is spoken today, touch our hearts, touch our lives, make us into the people that you want us to be. There's so much that you call us to do, God, but you want us to meet right now together today to learn at your, from, your, from you at your feet, God. We love you, and again, so thankful for um, this place. Be with the word as it is spoken, uh, and uh, again, let's continue to do uh, amazing things for you in your kingdom, your name, amen. Let's continue to worship.
100 for you today. I'm sure it's familiar to a lot of you, but the caption at the beginning says that this is a song that is written for, excuse me, a song of praise written for the Lord's faithfulness to his people. It is a psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. You might ask, well, why should I do that? Why should I bless him? Why should I give him thanks? The very next verse tells us, it says, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures for all generations. The Lord is good. You know, I don't know where I would be without the goodness of God in my life. How about you? You know, from all of my life up until this point, I can look back and the goodness of God is just all over it. I know that God is faithful and I know that He is true and that His mercy never runs out. He is my Father. He is my friend. There's a verse that's um, painted on the wall in my office. It says, I will sing to the Lord all of my life. Let us recount His goodness. This morning as we sing this song, it's just entitled, The Goodness of God. Think about the goodness of God in your life.
and for your faithfulness and for your power that you make available to us. God, I know there are so many this morning who are just in need of a touch from you, who are sick or who are just struggling. I know there are some this morning, God, who are fighting a battle that they have no hope of winning on their own and just are so in need of a touch from you. God, I pray that as the word is brought this morning that you would just open our hearts and that you would speak right to each and every one of us. God, that we would be receptive and that we would be open to listen and to hear your words. I'm ready to preach, but I don't get to today, all right? Uh, we're glad that you're here. Uh, welcome to those who are watching online. I, I, I shouldn't do this, but I've just got to. How about them bulldogs? All right, all right. Well, you know what? You, you may not be a Greenwood Bulldog fan, but 10 state championships, that's something right there. We have several uh, who play on the team and are cheerleaders, and uh, we congratulate them. Hey, this is a great day for Kavanaugh Church. Uh, we have the Brain Center of Randall University in our services today. Uh, Randall University is in Moore, Oklahoma. It is a Free Will Baptist college. Uh, six of our seven pastors on staff are graduates of Randall University. Uh, we've had uh, uh, students from the past, even students today, who are attending. Many of you went to Randall. Uh, former uh, pastor of our church was the president of Randall University, and the current president was also on staff at Kavanaugh Church a long time ago. And uh, we're, we're glad to have four people from Randall with us today. It's good to have uh, Dr. Brent Sykes with us. He's academic dean. Brent, we welcome you to Kavanaugh Church. Give Brent a big welcome. Glad that you're here today. It's good to have the president of Randall, Bob Thompson, and his beautiful wife, Miss Carol, I, I hate to em, embarrass you, but Carol, would you just stand up? Would you please stand up? Let's give Miss Carol a big hand. We love you so much, and uh, you are the perfect first lady for Randall University. Thank you for all you do for the school. Uh, Bob and Carol came here in 1980. Bob was an associate pastor and, and youth pastor. Uh, you had two kids while you were here uh, when you came and had the third one, I guess, while you were here. And uh, so we have a lot invested in you, and you have a whole lot invested in us. Brother Bob preached in the first service. It was an excellent sermon. Uh, go back online and watch that. Uh, now for the second service, we have our own Brother Mason, uh, who is going to preach. He is the director of church engagement at Randall University. I know that Mason doesn't need any introduction here. He's one of ours. Uh, he was raised here from infancy. Uh, you guys probably brought him uh, fresh. I mean, as soon as he was born. This is one of the first places he came. And uh, Kenan, we, we knew there was something different about Mason uh, maybe when he was uh, four or five years old, he started asking his parents for suits to wear, and uh, he would wear his suits to church, and sometimes, uh, Ashwin, he would even wear them to school, and you wouldn't go to school with him the days he wore his suits. Uh, but it, it, here's a, there was a call on Mason's life, and we all saw that. Uh, probably at age, I don't know, you can tell us in a minute, five, six years old, he became Brother Johnny's assistant. And uh, he grew up assisting Brother Johnny. Uh, our joke around here is if we need in any door, all we have to do is ask Mason because he had a key to everything. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know where he got all those keys, but he would wear them and uh, he could let us in any door. And uh, here's the thing about it. Mason would do anything we ask him to do because he loves this church and he loves the Lord. And uh, Mason went to Randall, graduated, pastored, and now he's back serving the school. Mason, we're proud of you. 
And uh, we're so thankful of God's calling on your life, and we are excited about hearing you preach today. Right before he comes and preaches, uh, the president, Brother Bob, is going to come and bring a greeting and a thank you to our church. Y'all give it up for Brother Bob Thompson. I just want you to know, Mike still has the keys to, to everything, uh, and I don't know that he's an associate or assistant. He, he seems to always want to run things. Well, I don't know if you've ever noticed that about Mason, but that's just been the thing I, I noticed about Mason. So I do appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today and, and share just a moment about Randall University. First of all, as mentioned, your staff is a part of us, part of our Randall family. But the church has always been faithful to support and to give. This past summer, you came and spent a week, and you remodeled our lobby in the Yandel Hall. You redid a bridge, and there's some other projects that you just jumped in and took a part of. And Randall wants to say thank you. It's churches like you and people like you that helps us do what we want to do. We're trying to develop students and prepare them for the kingdom's work. We want to do it for the church. We want our students to go back into the local church. You see, it's not about Randall. It's about the local church. It's about our involvement in the local church, preparing those to be a part of the local church. Because it's the local church that God has given the mission to go into Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. We simply want to be a part of that and an encouragement of that. And so I want to say to this church, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for your sacrifice to give. And we will continue to be faithful stewards of the money that you send to us, as well as the students that you let us labor and work with. And we want to raise up a generation that once again will turn the world upside down. So as president of Randall University, thank you very much. Personally, for my wife and I, this church has been an integral part of our ministry. We are indebted to you. As Brother Will said, we came here in 1980. I had two children, Christine and Corey. Craig was born here in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And we owe this church much. And I'm never going to forget what this church means to me and what it has done for me personally. I say that to remind you, that's what the local church does. It impacts life. And everywhere I go, Kavanaugh is a part of who I am and what I am. So I want to say to you, thank you. As a simple minister of the gospel, thank you for what Kavanaugh means to me and what you've done in my life. And I think you will enjoy what God has in store for you today because God's man is going to stand in his pulpit, and proclaim his word to you. So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we're thankful for this day, the opportunity to be a part of this service. God, I personally, as a child of God, as one who's been called by you to preach the gospel, indebted to the Kavanaugh Field Baptist Church, it has impacted my life and has made a difference. And I never want to forget what the local church does for me. I have two churches that I consider my home church. First Free Baptist Church in Poto, and the Kavanaugh Free Baptist Church. God, thank you for these churches that have made such a difference in my life. But I ask today, God, clear my mind and my heart of everything in this world. I need to hear from your man today. I need to hear from your preacher today. I need to hear your word. I want a fresh touch from heaven. God, you will speak to me. Help me be receptive. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, President Thompson. Let me echo his words first of, of thank you to Kavanaugh Church, but also Kavanaugh Church is my home, and, and you, you know how much I love this church, and, and God has used it to impact my life in ways that I could never understand, and, and it's all because of the people that he put here. I love Brother Will, I love Brother Jason, and Brother Johnny, and the impact that they had on my life, and I could never be thankful enough for the goodness of God. If you will, turn with me this morning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. And as you're turning there, the little boy was only about seven years old, and it was time for church. And, and so he went and asked his parents if he could take his favorite teddy bear with him, who he called Frank, of course. And, and he wanted Frank to go, but his parents didn't want Frank to go with them because teddy bears don't belong at church. But finally they relented, and they hopped in the car, went to church, and Later on in the service, as the offering plate was being passed, they looked over and noticed that their little boy put his teddy bear in the offering plate, along with a handful of coins. And, and later after service, they asked him about it, and he said, Well, the Bible tells us that the wise men brought gifts to Jesus, and, 
it was gold and frankincense and myrrh. He said, I didn't have any gold. I have no clue what myrrh is. And so I just gave frank and sense. I didn't know if that'd go over or not. I, I shared that with Corinda before. I said, if this doesn't go over, I'm never using that again. And uh, I'm not sure it did. But really, it's only Luke's gospel that uh, portrays for us the more precise details of the birth of the Messiah. Uh, Mark and John don't discuss the Christmas story at all. And then Matthew only tells us that Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit and also that an angel came to Joseph and told him that he needs to stick with Mary because something amazing was about to happen. We read there in Matthew chapter 1 that Jesus was coming to save his people from their sins. And so chapter 1 ends by saying that Joseph took Mary and his wife or Mary to be his wife and that they named the baby Jesus. And then chapter 2 skips ahead a little bit to after Jesus had already been born. And so let us read together the entire passage for today here in Matthew chapter 2 starting in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it had come and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And Lord, this morning as we have just read from your word, Lord, would you speak to us this morning? God, would you allow us to see your son Jesus for who he really is? Lord, would you take this time and use it in a way as only you can? For we ask it in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. One interesting thing that we find here from this part of the Christmas story is that there are three different reactions that these characters had to the birth of Christ. And it's really important for us to notice these because even beyond the Christmas story, we find that people today, over 2,000 years later, have the same reactions to the arrival of the king. And the first reaction that we find in this story is, number one, that of antagonism. Antagonism. And I believe that this word fits King Herod's reaction perfectly. You see, an antagonist is a person who actively opposes or is hostile to someone or something. And we find here that King Herod was definitely in opposition to the baby Jesus being the future king of the Jews. Imagine with me this morning that you're a king and you're sitting on your throne and one day a very important person comes into your chambers and they approach you and they ask this question, where is the new king that we may worship him? You know, I'm sure that there isn't a king anywhere on earth that would respond to that situation very well. But especially when it comes to a king like King Herod. You see, King Herod was not a good person. 
he is often described as being extremely suspicious. And if you were to look up the word paranoid in the dictionary, you would find a picture of King Herod right there beside it because that was him. Herod's biggest fear in the world was that someone was always out to get him. That there was always someone trying to take over his throne and rule over him. You know, history tells us that Herod was so suspicious, so paranoid that he killed his wife. And he killed his mother-in-law. And he killed three of his own sons. In fact, on one occasion, the Roman emperor Augustus said that it was safer to be one of Herod's pigs than his sons. Because that's just how dangerous he was. He was antagonistic. And so the wise men, they come into the palace and they ask this striking question. To which the scriptures say that Herod was troubled. Some translations use the word distressed. And so immediately he begins to try and figure out, what in the world can I do to make sure that this new king doesn't become a competitor to worry about? And what we see here is that Herod's antagonism was so strong that he was literally scared of a baby. Herod felt threatened by a baby. Now, my daughter Adley turned five months old uh, just last week, and let me tell you, she is a cute kid. Uh, Man, I love her. Uh, I know I'm biased, but she is a beautiful baby, and we love her so much. But thinking about her, it, it blows my mind to think that Herod in any way at all could feel threatened by a baby. Our pediatrician likes to tell us often that all Adley can do at this stage of her life is three things. Eat, sleep, and poop. That's all she can do. And the doctor's right. That's all she does. And you know, there has never been one time in her life, never ever, that I have looked at Adley and felt threatened. I can't say the same thing about Miss Corinda, but I can say that about Adley. And you want to know why? She's just a baby. I mean, she is literally just a baby. But it was this thought that this now baby, soon to be king, would one day become greater than himself that made Herod formulate this plan to get rid of Jesus altogether. And so, of course, we see in the story that when he was talking to the wise men, he was very careful to not let them know his true feelings. But on the inside... The only thought he had was, how quick can I eliminate this threat? Verbally, he said that he wanted to come and worship the new king as well. But on the inside, the truth was that he wanted to kill him. And you know, if we were to go ahead and read this whole chapter together, we would find that in verse 16, that when King Herod finds out that the wise men didn't come back and tell him where the baby was, he became furious. And his reaction was terrible. He, he sends out this decree to kill all of the babies, two years old and younger, in that region. To slaughter them. And what a devastating decision. We don't know the exact number of babies who were killed. But judging by the population of Bethlehem at that time, some scholars believe it was up to 20 to 30 children. Innocent children who lost their lives. And so you can imagine the deep pain that many of the people had encountered during this time. And it was all because of the extreme level of antagonism from King Herod. But you know, we also find another reaction Uh, This time, one that was on the complete opposite side of the spectrum. Not only antagonism, but number two, we find apathy. Apathy. In fact, their apathy was so strong that it's pretty easy for us to overlook this second group of characters. And and I don't know about you, but I don't often think about these these characters in the Christmas story at all. And it's the chief priests and scribes. How often do they show up in your retelling of the Christmas story. They're there. They show up for us this morning in verse 4. You see, after hearing this shocking introduction of the new king on the block, Herod reaches out to this group of religious leaders to find out where the baby was going to be born. 
And in verses 5 and 6, they correctly answer that it was going to take place in Bethlehem. And they go on to quote from Micah chapter 5 as the source for their answer. And then that's it. That's all that we hear about them in the Christmas story. Church, apathy means a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. And what we are reminded of here is that the chief priests and scribes knew all the right answers. They knew that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. But their knowledge didn't lead to any action. Even though they knew exactly where he was to be born, and even though the signs of his appearing began to show, and even when there was this group of wise men who came literally searching for him, they stayed put where they were. And what a sad reaction to have to the coming of the Christ child. So we have antagonism, we have apathy. But we also find a third and very different reaction, and that is number three, adoration. Adoration. While King Herod wanted to find the new baby to kill him, and the chief priests and scribes couldn't care less about finding him, the wise men's only ambition was to find this new king and worship him. Now, I know that we've heard this part of the Christmas story so often that it, it probably just seems uh, second nature to us. It, it seems so natural and so right. But let us realize this morning that what we have just read in Matthew chapter 2 only took place because God was at work. I'm telling you what, this entire situation had God's anointing upon it. Get this, these men didn't know where to go. And so God literally provided them with a guiding light shining bright in the night sky. These men had just come from Herod's palace in Jerusalem to this lowly house in the middle of nowhere. But they treated it as if it was the best place on earth. These men were accustomed to being in the presence of royalty. But when they walked through this door, they fell down to their faces as if this child was the most glorious king in history. And then comes the gifts that they brought with them. Notice with me here that these wise men didn't give the gifts to Mary or Joseph for safekeeping, but they gave them to this toddler himself. And these weren't the normal kind of gifts that you would usually take to a baby shower, no. But these gifts were special. And not only because of who they were given to, but because of what they represent. They gave him gold. The highest of all metals. A gift fit for a king. They gave him frankincense, which is a type of incense that it was commonly used by priests in the act of worship. And they gave him myrrh. Myrrh. A preservation agent used to embalm dead bodies. What a strange lineup. <laughs> it may seem a little odd to us this morning, but church, these were no random gifts. But they were the gifts that somehow, some way, God had instructed these men to bring. I look at this and, and I read it and again. I know at first glance it seems so natural, but this is not natural. And in fact, I, I can't get my mind wrapped around it. it. It doesn't make any sense. But I believe that Linsky, the great Lutheran scholar, said it best. He said, their hearts must have beheld what their eyes could not see. Their hearts must have beheld what their eyes did not see. To anyone looking at this situation from the outside, it wouldn't make any sense. But church, if only we could feel what these men felt in their hearts, perhaps we would be able to get a glimpse of the greatness and the glory of this scene 
and of the person of Jesus Christ. There is absolutely no other way to describe the wise men's reaction but to use the word adoration. They adored him. And they worshipped him. And you know, as interesting as it is to look at all these different reactions of these characters to the birth of Christ, what makes it applicable to us today is whenever we realize that these are the same reactions that people still have to Jesus today. Whenever someone is faced with the reality of the person and the purpose of Jesus, they must make a choice of how they will respond. And you know, it's not just other people in general who have to make a choice, but it's us individually as well. We have to choose how we will react to Jesus. And the same three options are in play. It's either going to be antagonism. No one's taking over my throne. Or apathy. I couldn't care less. Or it will be adoration. Jesus is the Son of God and He deserves my all. And although it may be our first instinct to say that we choose adoration, let me remind you of something. So did King Herod. He said, bring back word so I can go and worship him too. But that wasn't the truth. King Herod was lying to the wise men and he was lying to himself. And the end result was very destructive. And so that's why it's so important for us as Christians, to be on the lookout for any signs of antagonism or apathy. And if found, we better put an end to them quickly. What if I told you this morning, church, that we all have a little King Herod in us? Listen to me. We all have a little King Herod in us. We all want to be in control of our lives. We all struggle with the thought of having someone rule over us. We all feel a little threatened when things don't go the way that we want them to. You see, naturally, we don't want to serve God. And we don't want to serve our neighbors. We want them to serve us. The Jesus in the Christmas story doesn't seem very threatening because at the time, he's just a little baby. But later on, when he begins his ministry, it became more apparent to who he really was. And to what his purpose for coming was. He didn't come so that we could continue piloting our lives in a way that is contrary to God's plan. But that we could have a relationship with him. And that as a result our lives would have meaning. The question that we must ask ourselves this morning is, who is the captain of our souls? Is it Jesus? Or is it ourselves? Because if it's yourself, you can bet there's going to be some antagonism. There's going to be some opposition and some hostility between you and Jesus because that is His rightful place and not your own. And so it will continue to clash. When it comes to apathy, boy, don't fool yourself. Churches today are full of people who know what the Bible says. They can answer all the questions correctly. But their knowledge hasn't led to any action. Get this. Choosing apathy means you know what Jesus has said. But you simply don't care. And so you live your life in a completely different way than what He has demonstrated for us. And both of these things are very serious hazards that ultimately won't lead us where we want to go. And so instead, we need to strive to choose adoration. To choose adoration means you must realize who Jesus really is. As the wise men have pointed out, He is our King. He is our priest. He is the spotless Lamb who has died in our place. And when we do... 
we can finally begin to understand our need to worship him. Man, I wish you could have been here in first service, and some of you were. Uh, Brother Will has already encouraged you. If you didn't uh, get to hear the first first service message, you need to go back online and listen to it. In fact, as I was sitting there listening to President Thompson, I thought, man, if only I could have heard this message before I wrote my message. Because it would have helped me so much. We have to realize who Jesus really is. That is what will make the difference in the life of a Christian. Is knowing who he really is. President Thompson preached out of Luke 15. And he made it clear to us just how great God is. That he is the son of God. That he is the wonderful counselor. That he is the king of kings. But yet he still came to earth to sit with sinners. And when we understand that, then we will understand who Jesus really is. And get this, an incorrect view of Jesus will not lead to adoration. It will lead to antagonism or apathy. But a proper view of Jesus will result in true worship. And one of the best examples of this in the whole Bible is found right here in Matthew chapter 2. In the Christmas story. That the wise men, they humbled themselves before the Lord and they gave these special gifts as a sign of worship to the new king. They gave the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. But let me ask you this morning. What in the world are we supposed to give Jesus? Have you ever had a hard time picking out a gift for somebody? What in the world do you get the king of kings? What could I possibly offer to Jesus that he would even remotely desire? Christmas time always takes me back to when I was in choir in school and all of the great Christmas carols that we would sing. And One of my favorite Christmas carols is, is a song called In the Bleak Midwinter. It doesn't sound real joyous, but it's a great song. It's a great song. And the fifth and final verse of that song addresses this very dilemma. What do we give Jesus? It says, what can I give him? Poor as I am, if I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give him. I give him my heart. What do we give this king? What is it that Jesus desires from us more than anything else? We give him our hearts. We adore Him. We love Him and we worship Him. And not just with our words, but with our hearts. Despite his father Billy Graham's dedication to the Lord, it wasn't until his son Franklin Graham was 22 years old that he finally realized who Jesus was. After living a life of antagonism for many years, Franklin was quoted as saying, I believed in God. I just didn't want Jesus running my life. I wanted to run my own life. But I was miserable. You know, you think about it, of course, Franklin Graham grew up hearing the truth. But because of apathy, he hadn't allowed the truth to make any difference in his life. Looking back at his salvation experience, Franklin said, I realized for the first time that sin had control over my life. Franklin Graham was not in charge, but sin was. And there was absolutely nothing I could do in my own power to overcome it. I felt I was a Christian. I was the son of Billy Graham. I went to church and memorized scripture. What more could it take? Suddenly, I had an overpowering conviction that I needed to get my life right with God. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. My years of running and rebellion had ended. The rebel had found the cause. Would you bow your heads with me this morning and close your eyes? You know, there may be some here today who wants so badly to be able to say that you have chosen the third reaction. 
The third option. You want to be able to say that you have chosen adoration. But maybe you're realizing that's just not the case. And if that is you this morning, right now, we don't need an altar call. We can't do one. But you need to speak to God and tell Him exactly that. Tell Him that you know you're a sinner. And that on your own you have made a mess of your life. That you believe that Jesus is the Savior who came to pay the penalty for the sin that you have just admitted. I'm telling you, if this is something that you really want, then you need to speak to God today and tell Him that you are done with sitting in the driver's seat of your life. And that you now realize that is not your spot. Tell God that you're finished with knowing all the right answers, but continually allowing your knowledge not to lead to any action. Surrender to Christ your life, your future, all that you have and all that you are. And you know the promise of God's Word tells us that for an individual who comes to Him in this way, He will not reject them. So, Father, would you hear the prayers of your people this morning? And as we enter into this Christmas season and we reflect on the arrival of your Son, may we be reminded of the duty that we have to respond to Him appropriately. And may we see this morning our privilege to live lives of adoration that are committed to true worship of our King. For Jesus' sake. Amen. 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 Bless you, buddy. Amen. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you uh, prayed that prayer and invited Jesus into your heart, or if you have chosen adoration today, uh, let one of our pastors know after the service. I, I hate that because of COVID, we no longer can have altar calls at this time. But you know what? You had an altar call just a moment ago as Mason prayed. And you can still follow Jesus with your life. So come and talk to one of the pastors after service. If you've made that decision or if you need prayer or help, uh, we are here for you. Uh, i tell you what, Bob, my, my heart was blessed by that sermon. And my heart was blessed by your sermon as well. I always preach on Sundays. It's, it's my calling. It's what I do. But sometimes I need to sit out there like you're sitting and receive the Word of God. And today, my soul has been fed. Let's give God praise for that, shall we? We've, we've heard some good preaching today, man. I, I kind of hate that you guys came. They, now they've heard good preaching, and they're going to expect more from me. Hey, if you're helping with Adopt-A-Family, you need to be here at 2.30 today. Uh, Adopt-A-Family is, is our ministry to the community. We're going to be helping over 100 families by providing Christmas for them, and those gifts are going to be taken out today. So be here at 2.30, meet in the Family Life Center, and Brother Johnny is going to give you further instructions. Uh, Wednesday at 7 o'clock, we're going to have Bible study and things going on for all ages. When you walk out of the room, there are the black boxes that you can put your offering in, or you can give online. Please pray for Susan Armstrong. She has surgery on Tuesday. Continue to pray for others in our church who are sick, who have previously had surgeries, or who, is, who are grieving Ask that God to be gracious to them. I want you to know the staff loves you. I love you. But most of all, God loves you. Have a great day. Be back at 2.30 to help with Adopt-A-Family. You're dismissed. Mm.